Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. In today's episode, I conclude a three-part conversation with the French yin yoga teacher trainer, Sebastian Poussel. In this final segment of the conversation, Sebastian talks about his recent month-long meditation retreat at the Forest Refuge in Barrie, Massachusetts. We talk about the retreat, how he studied the Yoga Sutra in depth on retreat, And we explore, actually, diving into the sutra, we explore potential interpretations of the word Naroda, or Narodaha. I love hearing what Sebastian had to share in this conversation, in part because his depth of practice is very profound, and it conveys an intimately deep knowledge of the Buddha's teachings. But before we begin this final part of the conversation, I just want to thank all the folks that are supporting this podcast by sharing episodes or links to the podcast with our friends and like-minded colleagues. As a free podcast, your work and support in sharing the interest in the podcast is greatly, greatly appreciated. So thank you for that help and support. And now I once again bring you Sebastian Poussel. Okay, Sebastian, we've been talking about integrating yin yo- uh, meditation with yin yoga. We've been talking about uh, your practice of shamatha meditation and how that can lead into jhana and how that dissolves identifications of the ego and, and sense of self. Um, but I, I know that uh, as we set up this, con- this interview, going back a few months when I first reached out to you, you were going on a longer meditation retreat a solo meditation retreat um yes. actually in my own backyard in massachusetts you were out at, at, <laughs> yes, at, that's at, the, at the forest refuge in uh, barry massachusetts so you know i'd love to pick your brain for a little while about about that experience and what you went in with and what you were trying to achieve and what you experienced mm-hmm. and what was difficult what were the highs and lows and and just sort of open up what does a month-long retreat look like oh um, well, first, I, I want to say that IMS got maybe the best setting ever that I came across. Really, it's, uh, you know, for anyone looking for a personal retreat, this is definitely a recommended place. Um, IMS is just, they got the perfect setting, really, really conducive place. IMS stands for Insight Meditation Society, yeah? Yes, yeah. yes, and that's, in your own back, backyard. Yeah, it's, and it's in Barrie, <laughs> Massachusetts. It's where I f- first started going on retreats um, in the early aughts, um, you know, you mentioned it being perfect. And I just share this little anecdote with you. Uh, about eight years ago, there was a, a young Thai monk visiting the area and I volunteered to drive him out to the retreat center you went to at the forest refuge. And I, I, I accompanied him on a tour and we, we walked around the forest refuge together, which is the, and we should just say the forest refuge is the, the annex retreat center at IMS for doing long-term personal retreats. So people go there for two weeks at minimum, maybe a month or two months. Sometimes people go for a year, but you're, it's a solo retreat center. 
Anyway, we, I, I, I took the monk around on this tour, and at the end, we were driving back to Boston, and I said, well, what do you think? What did you think of the forest refuge? And he said, well, it was okay. It's too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I said, what do you mean it's just okay? He said, yeah, he said, exactly that. It's, it's, it's too perfect. No one will suffer here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the practice itself is hard enough, so yeah. a little bit of comfort is, you know, is, a, is a, always a plus. Yeah. So you went for a month, was that is that right? Yeah, for a month, yeah, four weeks. So so what was that like? Oh, wow. That was um insightful, <laughs> fruitful. Um actually my um my aim was, you know, to study as well at the same time. That's why I wanted to have this the space so with my own schedule. So I went for the forest refuge. Um and then um I studied the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali at the same time than, you know, having a longer session of meditation during the day. So I wanna, I'm going to want to ask you about the, your, why you chose to study the Yoga Sutra in that context too. But um, first off, have you done a long retreat like that before? Yeah, it's actually my third one of a month's retreat. Yeah. Third one per month. And where were the other two that you'd done? In Gaia House in, in Devon, in mm -hmm. England, which is you know, uh, related to IMS and then and, and, uh, Spirit Rock as well. Yeah, they're all sister centers. Um, on this particular retreat, because there was no schedule, there's no fixed schedule, right? Because normally yes. on retreat, there's a, a, a posted schedule of like, at this time, get up and have a coffee, then, have, then <laughs> sit for 45 minutes, then walk for 45 minutes, then sit for 45 minutes. There's a very simplified schedule. But at the Forest Refuge, there is no schedule, such schedule as I remember, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So how did you how did you navigate that? Well, you just you know have to uh, be disciplined, I guess, and then uh, have the motivation. And, um, the way that I started my day was with uh, qigong. Uh, I I like to start you know first things in the morning qigong to ground myself and uh, type into my <laughs> so to speak chi body. Your chi body. Uh, yes, and then um, and then. First session of meditation, then study. So my session where anything between an hour and a half to two hours sitting and then study from an hour to two hours and then I was alternating you know, between study and sitting meditation. So studying became your walking meditation? Uh, actually, I had an hour run. Oh. In, yeah, I just keep the walking meditation uh, for, for, for this retreat. I, interesting. Yes. Did you find it? Um, well, I should back up. I, I years <laughs> back, I did a, I did my I did a two week retreat at the Forest Refuge, and I I, I went into it fairly naive. I thought it was going to be really easy because mm. I, because I had done a lot of retreats elsewhere and um, lo even longer retreats. But for some reason, I found the lack of schedule particularly challenging because I would go to the meditation hall and I there was no one to ring the bell when the meditation was over. So I'd be sitting there wondering when, okay, am I done? Am I not done? Am I done? Am I not done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now I have, you know, I have a special watch now that vibrates, so I could time it myself and it would mm -hmm. be better. But what, what were difficult, did you have any difficulties? Did you find it challenging? Were there any? Um, in terms of sitting Just itself? The, the, the whole structure of it or the lack of structure of it. Um, actually, I liked it. I like that I could design my own schedule. You know, I'm, I'm craving for that. As you know, if 
you are a teacher and then you do this for a living, you need to schedule your time uh, a year ahead, yeah. so to speak. And then to have the space in front of me and then to, you know, do another schedule uh, was actually a blessing. Um, depends, I guess, of your uh, personality, but um, for me, I have no problem, you know, going through a schedule and, and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. So no, it was it wasn't a challenge for me. This part wasn't a challenge. Um, so no no, like, no difficulty. You make it sound very easy. Were were there? You know, people always for people that haven't done a retreat. You know, they kind of want like they often have a. a, a I won't a, start with a month if if they have no experience in a retreat. <laughs> maybe. Maybe three days, you know, a week to ten days is is good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But there, what I was get, trying to get to is that there's an idea that if you go for a month, like mm-hmm. it's a longer period of time, so something big and significant must happen. And so the oh, question is, like, did something big and significant happen, and is, did that, or or is it just a deepening of ordinary things that happen? Um. Yes to both. <laughs> um, actually, if nothing happened, that's great. <laughs> that's what you want, you know, big nothingness. But um, come to a point where if you go for months or longer, it's because for, for the love of sitting, for the love of, you know, just being into your practice, being into um, those state of concentration or contemplation or meditation. Um, if you if you have your life normal life daily life and you have to deal with you know all all the responsibilities that everyone have, uh, it's difficult to reach those states. So to have the space and the time, you know, dedicating the space, uh, dedicating sorry the time, and and having the space to do that is is only happening if you go away from your responsibilities, away from your daily life. So for me, every time I'm I'm going for a retreat, even for a month, it's like it's 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 um, it. I, I find it like a blessing. Really, it's a reward. It's a reward. Mm-hmm. But be, maybe because I've I've been developing this uh, attraction, this love for you know contemplation, uh, sitting, silence. Of course, you know um, as you go into the retreat, you're also into a noble silence. Uh, all of these are conducive very conducive for for meditation so i wasn't like having a goal of reaching a a, a special um, state of concentration or or whatever again it was really for me to be in seclusion having having the time for myself and then you know uh, turning inward so it sounds like yeah i mean it sounds like you didn't go in you weren't going in trying to have a specific thing happen, like get into a deep state of absorption or something, or, or get a master a jhana. But more to what you were saying earlier, is your own advice to meditators is you went in with kind of the right, a good intention and attitude of just allowing the conditions of the retreat to itself you. to support to you. Support. Yeah. yeah, and then and then depending on what you did before going to the retreat, uh, you will deal with different things. And so, you know, I had a pretty busy year. And then, um, so I know I had needed time to lend on my, on my cushion, yeah. on, on my, on my seat in order to 
to go back to the state of concentration that I had in the past and so on. But saying that had, uh, for me, maybe the uh, most um, significant insight that I had during the month's retreat was um, um, the relation that I developed with the breath. I found that um, everything is a relationship. And then the way you develop the relation that you have with your object of meditation is paramount. Paramount. Rather than, you know, reaching for something is like how much care, how much attention are you going to put into your practice? And I was, that's a big shifting taking place here. So I had a little bit of that previously in previous, um, in previous um, retreat. But really, uh, this time in, in uh, IMS, uh, it was very obvious and become very apparent. Yeah, that's, that's a really fine and important point I think you just brought up, which is that people, when, particularly when they do anapanasati or watching the breath type practice, there's, there's a way that it can feel technical. Like, oh, I have to... like. Sharpen my perception on the sensation and try to dial into the sensation at the in and out of the breath, the nose. But um, I think I think the the element you just mentioned is that it's it's not so much about the breath, but it's about the quality of relationship that you're developing with the breath, and that's a, a an example or a practice in relationship itself, which then transposes yes. to whatever other things you're experiencing. Yes. Yes. And you know what happened, Josh, when, when you let go of that, of, of you know, uh, uh, just having maybe a very laser-like concentration, which is one way of looking at it, when you let go of that and then cultivate a more uh, loving, uh, attentive, caring um, type of concentration towards the object, your point of focus is spreading. Mm-hmm. In other words, in other words, you're not you're not concentrating just on one point, but the breath starts to spread all over your face, all over the chest, and then and and it starts to be your uh, object of um, concentration or attention. And that's a beautiful thing. That's really beautiful because it's something that you can carry with you mm-hmm. when you finish with your sitting meditation, as you walk. As you do the washing up, as you're, you know, reading or whatever, uh, and and that is, um, to me, was definitely an insight. No, I like that. It, it because it in, in emphasizing the relationship to the breath, you're also, you know, you're not just developing focus or concentration. You're developing what would be referred to as the heart qualities. Exactly. You know, exactly. The meta yes. or com- compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, so there's that, but then there's also what you just said, which uh, I think is something that people don't think of when they think of the word, and this is where concentration as a word confuses people a little yes. bit, um, because people think of concentration as, as, as a very narrow scope of attention. Yep. And what you just yep. said is that when you, particularly when you brought in more of this, this caring attention to the breath, it, it was a widening. A widening, uh, yeah. So, and, and, and that is similar to what, or that sounds to me like what I've heard many of my teachers refer to as uh, another d- definition of samadhi, is that it's not a narrow focus, it's just the 
it's a receptive gathering of attention that's open within everything. Exactly, yes. Yes, I like that very much. It's like, again, um, letting go, letting go, relaxing, relaxing within the concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very important because often, you know, um, we put together concentration and tensing or narrowing down, narrowing down to the maybe the smallest point that we can. And that's one type of concentration, but this, this will um, be tiring, you know, physically, mentally, it's tiring. So at the beginning, if you let go and then, you know, just relaxing to the concentration might be not as, as strong as the one that you narrow down, but if you keep going for it, it's, it will linger with you. It will linger, and, and the same quality that you get uh, by narrowing down will come as you're widening your experience, widening the point of concentration. Yeah. The word, just to, to echo on that, the, the words I've tried to use to describe it is that the narrow concentration is very fragile. You, yeah. you know, it, it, it gets broken very easily, like mm-hmm. the slightest noise or the slightest painful sensation. But this wider stillness and wider concentration is, I think, is, well, maybe to use the phrase Bernie Clark's been using, anti-fragile. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's more robust um, it, and it, it uh, is, a, is more available to whatever else is occurring. Um, you know, I, I was, I remember when you mentioned this before we, we got onto this interview that you would, you're going into study the Yoga Sutra. Mm-hmm. I was a little curious about that because there is a little bit of a, call it a spiritual divide between Buddhism, the Buddha Dharma, mm-hmm. um, which does not try to get that, you know, in practicing Buddha Dharma, you're not trying to get into optimal states. You're trying to understand the nature of all states. And then there's the Yoga Sutra side, which is trying to get be into a deep state of absorption through which insight arises. Um, I was curious about why you chose, given how much Buddha Dharma practice you have, why you chose to study the sutra and what you were focusing on in that study and how that seemed to play out in your deep experiential retreat practice. Like, so what brought you into the sutra for this retreat? Um, because I see that there is a lot of overlaps between the Yoga Sutras and Buddha Dharma. So much, actually. Um, they're more or less coming from from the same path, and then they will diverge at some point. Um, to me, it's like, you know, I'm a yoga practitioner. And I do love also the Buddha teachings. Um, going in, in depth into the Yoga Sutra will help me to bridge, you know, yoga practitioner to maybe a deeper state of concentration coming from Buddhism. So that may be one of the first things. Mm-hmm. Um, reading more in the, of the Yoga Sutras, you know, um, repeatedly, uh, also, there is a lot of insight into the Yoga Sutras. Yoga Sutras can be looked as a guide of, uh, for meditation, handbook of meditation, really. Um, and there is so much insight to unpack. So much insight to unpack. Um, and as I, I said, yeah, a lot of uh, overlaps. Like uh, you can find the Janas in, uh, in, um, in the Yoga Sutras. They talk also about the Brahma Vihara, um, 
and so on and so forth. They're really, there is some difference, but they're more like a metaphysical difference, you know, if, if they are a soul or no soul and so on. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of practice, uh, to me, they are like um, twin brothers, you know, like uh, twin brothers um, being separated at birth. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what you, you were having a, an interview with uh, Cliff, Chip, a chip, chip sorry, yeah, yeah. chip, yes, with chip, and then that's one thing that he said, and that I remember that, and I agree with that. Yeah. So, just for listeners, if you haven't seen that, that's on my website. It's an interview with Chip Harncraft, um, on who's a, who has written a translation and commentary of the Yoga Sutra, which which brings me up a question. Another question for you is: um, A, when you were studying the sutra, did you have a translation or commentary that you were specifically focused on where was it a few few of them yeah there are a few of them i was mainly focusing on three books for now and then uh, yeah so uh, Ed, edwin bryant uh-huh. that you may know the yoga sutras uh, bhavani maki which uh, wrote uh, the title of the book is um is um, the yogi road map and then there was a one uh, the other one is um is by Pandit uh, Rajmani Tigunait, hmm. which is the head of the Himalayan school. He, he wrote a book just on Samadhipada, the first chapter of the Yoga Sutra. So those three books were, were kind of uh, my references uh, for my study. So and, I, and, sorry, and sorry, another one, uh, Chris, Chris Chappell, you know, huh. Yoga and the Luminous. Yoga and the Luminous. Don't know that one. Oh, great book, great book, because he doesn't follow Vyasa, the main commentators. Ah. Yeah. And he was also a Swami or an Anshade for many years. So he's talking also from an experiential point of view, mm. not just as a scholar. So as someone, you know, again, I've done a lot of the meditation retreats, but I haven't, I haven't done so many where I combine study with it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear how you approached that like did you have one section of the sutra that you were going to be focusing and diving into most of the time or um were you going through the whole sutra Mm -hmm. in those in those hours or two hours that you would focus on study what what did it look like were you in your room with like notes and pieces of paper everywhere (laughs) yes yes exactly take take me into your little cell <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, a month is not long enough really to go through the whole sutras if you want if you want to really unpack them. So I was focusing on the first chapter, which is the Samadhi Pada, which is really the whole path in the first chapter. You know, uh, Patanjali layout I put on the table the whole path in the first chapter. So that's a very very uh, important uh, chapter. And um, yeah, well, the way I was studying is like, yeah, I had, had those books, you know, in front of me and I was going back and forth in a different translation and different uh, transliteration, as they call it, and then commentaries and then taking notes, writing, um, meditating on it a little bit. And then after, you know, just that's it. The end of my study session, I'm going to sit and then back to the brain. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I hate... Sometimes I don't like these questions myself where someone says, well, what was the big takeaway? <laughs> but if we can simplify or soften that a little bit, and if I were to ask you, was there a few things or one thing in particular that your study brought to your attention 
that you hadn't really seen before or appreciated in, this, in quite the same way? Was there something that you had a greater appreciation for in the sutta that applied directly into how you experienced or approached the meditation? Um, and, and maybe well, I'll give you a little time to think about it because sometimes yeah. when I go on retreats, um, like we were saying earlier, the practice is really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when I go on retreat and I've heard the same teachings, like the Four Noble Truths or mm-hmm. you know the Three Characteristics, I hear the teachings over and over again. And then on each retreat, there usually emerges something that like, oh my goodness, I forgot that or I didn't, never really appreciated it that way. And that becomes yes. a very... It becomes a relevant, very relevant, and very alive in my practice. Okay. Something like, and I'm just curious if you had something similar where there was something you were studying, and, and you really started to chew on that in your practice, and, and that became very relevant and alive for you. Um, maybe coming back to uh, Patanjali, the second sutra in the first chapter, which is uh, Yoga Chitta Vritti Niroda. Uh, which is really the definition of yoga, maybe not the goal, but the definition of yoga. And, you know, really focusing on what it means by niroda. What is niroda? So, you know, there is few translation of the word niroda, which is to restrain or to arrest or to control or to channel. Um, and those so are, I, actually, that's great. Those are, those, those are translations that I'm familiar to. It usually translates as cessation, though, right? Cessation, well, or yeah. Or stopping? Also, also uh, cessation would be maybe more the, the result of niroda. So, you know, niroda, nirvana come from the same root. And the way I can look at it is like, by niroda, you will access nirvana. So you will access uh, cessation. Uh, Niroda, to me, at this stage, and especially at the second sutra, and then after, of course, he's, he's unpacking more of that and explaining more, it's, uh, it's still a stage where you, there is a lot of um, uh, willful effort to provide. So it's not a state where you have cessation. You know? And he's breaking down Niroda by uh, two things first. He says Niroda is two things, which is practice and renunci- renunciation or dispassion, abhyasa and varagya. And then um, that was that was uh, quite relevant to me, and especially the veragya, uh, the you know the renunciation, because the abhyasa is is more or less shamata. You know, mm-hmm. it's again if you if you if you look at uh, the translation of abhyasa is uh, practice, uh, concentration of the mind. You know, trying to get to a stage of ekagrata or one-pointedness of the mind. This requires effort, you know, for a long time and so on and so forth, with no interruption, uh, cultivation of a sadvic state of mind and all of that. This requires time. Mm. So that's more or less what shamatha is about. And veragya, veragya, renunciation, dispassion, this is vipassana, this is the wisdom. Because when you have a direct insight into the uh, impermanence of all phenomena, uh, about uh, dissatisfaction of all senses, and about mm, there is no one actually to be there, uh, you will come to a real state of renunciation or disenchantment. Mm-hmm. But, but not in a pessimistic way, in, in a way that all those desires are here, 
but uh, I'm more or less indifferent to them. They're not. I'm not so attached to them anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I I find that beautiful, really beautiful, the way that Patanjali, you know, fall right into the teachings of the Buddha as mm. well. Yeah. And and br- breaking down the niroda, you know, by those two aspects: abhyasa, varagya, shamata, vipassana, dharana, dayana. This may be a little simplistic, but I, you know, when I'm in the yoga scene and I hear people talking about niroda, like yoga chitta vritti, nirodaha, like they, it usually implies this idea that the the vrittis or the the fluctuations of the mind stop. So they're trying to get to a place of sort of thought stopping. That's and, the final stage. There's a lot of different stages before that. But in the, yeah, my question for you is like in your own study now and in, in, in your experience, because um, when you define Naroda, you 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 had the used the phrase to restrain. Well, there's a few other phrases you used, right? There's, yeah, could be to restrain, restrain or to channel. To, to channel. channel maybe. Yeah, that that's a pretty good one, I think. Instead of you know to stop or to arrest or cessation. Yeah. No, there is nowhere in Patanjali where they say that the vritti stop actually. The vritti is still going on when you have nothing in your mind, consciousness still there, and then you know there is there is this consciousness of nothing's going on. That's a form of a vritti. Right. And yes. the, I guess where I'm going is that um, I remember hearing Ajahn Amra, one of these Thai. English time monks saying that Naroda could also be seen as to hold in check. Like hold a, in check. To hold in check. It's kind of like a like a, a form of restraint where the thing the experience hasn't stopped, which I think is what you're saying. The vrittis don't stop per se, no. but there's a mm-hmm. way that your consciousness holds them in check, isn't maybe isn't swept away, isn't carried away. Yes, transported yes. by them the same way, and I think that's a, an important piece because, you know, practically speaking, I feel like so many people are in the yoga world are bumping their head against trying to get their head to stop, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's not necessarily it's not necessary. No, and it's a misconception really of what is the definition of um, you know the translation of yoga chitta vritti niroda at this stage, and you know, I, at this stage, which. You know, it's it's pretty pretty high already. You know, if you if you access um, if you, if you really go into niroda abhyasa varagya, uh, it's it's a pretty high stage already. Mm-hmm. But but the cessation of the mind that the thoughts stop completely, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, at least not now. You need to you go much further down on the path. Right, and that gets back into the deep states of jhana or mm-hmm. samadhi of the yoga sutra. Yes. Right. Yes, co- correct. Yes. So for now, like maybe just keep it simple and don't worry about stopping your thoughts. Ch- channeling the thought maybe would be a, a better description of, of what we um, must you know develop and cultivate. Channeling them, channeling them in one direction for you know for as long as you can. And then in parallel, something else will, will develop, which is your ability to observe. Mm-hmm. The, as, as, you know, which is the following sutra. And then the seer will abide in his own nature. So by channeling your thought in one direction, in one direction only, you know, putting the effort in this direction, next to that, 
there is another part of your consciousness arising, mm. and you you start to see the defilement. But what you stop is the identification to it. You're not interested anymore in the drama in in your own story. Something else is start starting to develop. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the phrase I'm sure you're thinking of this, but the directing of your thought, channeling your thought. Of course, these are we were talking about jhana earlier, the, the states of absorption. Yes. And um, in the first one, in the first stage of absorption, there the first two factors are in Pali, Wittaka and Vichara, which yeah, are Vitaka and Vichara. And these yeah. are, get translated differently too, but it's, it's a um, quality of directed thought towards the experience mm-hmm. or to the object, and then an evaluation, a value of thought. Yes, yeah. I've got another translation, which is um, applying and sustaining. Yes, right. But, applying but, but, your, so, your attention, applying your attention, and then sustain it. Yeah. And then eventually, if you keep you know, good at it, you will access concentration. And those are two ways of using thought, right? You're using kinds of thought to focus your attention to are you on something? You can think about it and feel how what it's like, examine the qualities of it. Say it's your breath, and like, is it a short breath? Is it a long breath? Getting back to the Anapanasati Sutta. Those are all kinds of discursive thought in relationship to the process of the meditation, which are not bad. No, no. Actually, they are, they are quite supportive yeah. because you remain into the field of meditation, of the practice. Yeah. Yes. So though, you know, there is klishta and aklishta, like Patanjali described. You know, the vritti can be afflicted or non-afflicted. To what? to your practice, towards meditation, towards liberation. So the fact that you must niroda, you know, uh, kill all the vrittis or, or stop, arrest completely the vrittis, that's not correct. Again, there is vrittis which will be supportive, conducive to your practice. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be mindful of your time. I realize I, you're, I feel, you mentioned I'm, I'm okay with time. I'm, Patanjali I'm okay. and Buddha are brothers from another mother. You feel like a brother from another mother to me. Like I, we could just talk all day. Um, you know, maybe one final question for you is: um, if someone, I, w- I wanted to ask you what about what it was like coming off that month retreat, um, but I also wanted to know if you had advice for anyone that was considering going on retreat. So maybe that's a two-part final question. How is how is your how, was it easy for you to come off that month long? Did you have any challenges? Because sometimes people feel like the, coming back to the regular world is overwhelming yes. and, and yes. that kind of thing. Yes, and then uh, <clears throat> I think uh, the first few retreats, you know, that I was doing, uh, uh, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, and then I had a hard time to readjust to you know the, the world as such, but. Um, Really, as you keep, you know, practicing and going into retreats from one year to the next, you realize that the world outside is actually um, your playground. This is where you can apply, you know, your practice and your teaching. Uh, you won't have the same blissful, maybe, state of calm and stillness and silence will not be there and so on. But the memory of what you went through during your retreat, you know, remain inside inside your mind, inside your chitta. They're always available to you, always available to you. Now, now would be the time to apply 
what we've been practicing. So that's maybe a good way of looking at it. Mm. And, and of course, I'm looking forward for my next retreat. I think doing a month will resonate long enough for a year. And then, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aiming, I'm planning to do at least once a year, a month long. And if possible, maybe shorter retreat in between. Because for me, the way I'm practicing at the moment, I'm, I'm not sure that's relevant for everyone, but but those uh, time of seclusion where you really you know separate yourself from from the the mundane um, resonate in your daily life. Mm. They resonate. They 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 keep uh, uh, vibrating and resonating, and 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 that's a part of my practice when I sit daily. I try to remember those states when I was, you know, in in, in the deeper uh, silence and uh, in state of uh, reclusion or seclusion. Mm. So they are a kind of a benchmark that you can, you know, rely on. Got it. Do you? I mean, are you planning to come back to Massachusetts next year? Uh, uh, seriously, yes. Okay. Great. Well, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to connect uh, next visit. I missed you this time. Um, do you, do you talk to anyone uh, thinking of going on a retreat and offer them any advice about how to approach the retreat? I, I have a sense of what you might say, but uh, I'm curious, just closing advice for anyone uh, think about going on a retreat. Um, that's maybe the most meaningful things that they will, they will do. And um, looking at it as maybe as a, as a rewarding time for oneself rather than a task, you know, to do a form of tapas. There is some of that, of, of course. But looking at uh, modern societies nowadays, it's, it's really a privilege, really a privilege to be able to afford the time, you know, uh, away from mm-hmm. the mundane. Because going back into the craziness of the outside world, and, and I think, you know, everyone should have this... Um, this, this um, I don't know what to say, but um, opportunity or the opportunity, exactly opportunity. You know, to to just you know withdraw from their daily life, withdraw from their responsibilities, and and reconnect with with maybe uh, a deeper part of of who they really are. Yeah. So lo- looking looking at it in 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 a rewarding experience, rather than 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 um, something something which has know, to be too serious or, or strenuous or, or a form of a strict uh, practice or discipline. There is some of that for sure. Put, maybe putting the treat back in retreat. Hey, that's a good one. Yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it is there, and it 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 is one of those things that um, just to echo on what you said. Uh, from the outside, it looks very severe and strict, and um, maybe even joyless. Uh, you know, but from the inside, once you know, if you if you approach it the way you're describing, um, and particularly when someone does get into calmer, stiller states, I mean, there's such a tremendous joy oh, that yes. arises that has nothing to do with anything, other no. than that you're just your mind is content. Content in in you know in silence in being surrounded also by uh, people who are like-minded people maybe congenial people um, you know there is a deep sense of gratitude also coming out of yeah. that 
we don't need much, basically. We don't need much to be, you know, happy, inherently happy. Yeah. You just need to remove, to let go of things rather than adding things. And that's a, that's a treat for the retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, listen, it's been a treat talking to you. Um, I really Thank enjoyed you, uh, hearing what you have to say and sharing your insights and your generosity of your own time. And we will, you know, in the, in the show notes, I will link to your website so people want to find you wherever you are in the world. Yes. Um, Thank you. You've got, I'm sure you've got a busy year lined up next year teaching. Yes, we're leaving for Asia in a week and a half. So for the next six months, you will be uh, touring and teaching in Asia, which um, which we love to do. Oh, really. Yes. Great. And I hope at uh, some point we'll be able to meet in, yeah. uh, in flesh. I think that's going to happen. Um, I, I might stalk you at the Forest Refuge. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'll be in the room next over. <laughs> That'd be great. No, yeah. When, when you're in town next, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll coordinate. But... For now, thanks so much and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Josh, for the invitation. Take care, Sebastian. Thank you. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this series with Sebastian Poussel. I personally felt a very strong, familiar connection with him and will look for ways to get Sebastian back on the podcast for future episodes. But in the meantime, for more information on Sebastian and his teaching, please check out his website, www.with-yinyoga.com. That's www.with-yinyoga.com. And if you're interested in exploring a silent meditation retreat, I included a link to the center that Sebastian and I have both trained at. The link is www.dharma.org. That's www.dharma.org. And that's the, the main site for the Insight Meditation Society as well as the Forest Refuge where Sebastian went. But if you'd like to attend a silent meditation retreat and combine the practice of yin yoga with the meditation, Terry Colburn and I are offering three retreats in 2019, two of which are in Western Massachusetts and one is in Granada, Spain. More information on those retreats is available at my website, joshsummers.net forward slash events forward slash retreats. I realize that's a mouthful. Just look for the link in the show notes and you can check out the three retreats that Terry and I will be teaching in 2019. Of course, if you'd like to study or train with me, please check out yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. Okay, guys, thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you soon in the next episode.